podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, how are you today? Um, I'm fine. I'm going to Scotland next week, which is fun. Ooh, that is um, exciting. Be, I think it's gonna be rainy the entire time I'm there. I'm very excited. Yeah. Um, do you have any fun plans for when you're going to Scotland? I think I'm gonna meet up with a friend from my college who lives in Edinburgh. And uh-huh. other than that, just chilling mm-hmm. cool anyway how are you i'm good it's kind of cold today which is weird because last week it was like in the 80s cannot um, relate is it hot there it's so hot here so yeah, it's hot. Really hot. Mm. yeah well it's like in the low 50s right now so it's quite cold which isn't bad but it's unexpected so i'm wearing like long pants and a sweater um which is nice but weird what else is i gonna say i got my nose pierced that was exciting that's awesome um it hurt <laughs> i know like it did a lot um but it's over now so that's good yeah really i was in pain for like a couple days after i got my ears pierced i mean it hurts if i like accidentally wipe my nose or something with my hand you know but besides that it doesn't really hurt nice anyways uh before we begin i just want to remind everyone that we have a kofi you can donate to uh, to support us. We do everything ourselves, all the research, recording, editing, transcribing, uh, alongside our school stuff, our work stuff. So if you want to donate, that would be super helpful to help us keep things going. Also, we have a bonus episode available now, and we're going to have more bonus episodes in the future, So, which will only be available if you donate. So feel free to get on that and get some extra bonus Mytholadies content. Yes. And now, Lizzie, who are are we talking about today? So as we said in the previous episode, it's Pride Month right now. And mm-hmm. so we decided to do women with LGBT themes. Mm-hmm. And so today we're going to talk about the legendary female cross-dressing poet called Huang Chonggu. Oh, cool. Yeah, so she was born in the year 885 in Linxiong in present-day Chengdu, the capital of the Sichuan province, and Mm. she was born towards the end of the Tang Dynasty, which ended in 907. And Mm. um, so she began dressing as a boy in her childhood, and no one outside of her family knew that she was a girl. Interesting. According to the the legend. And her father had been a commander or a prefect during the final years of the Tang Dynasty, but she was orphaned very young and raised by a wet nurse. Mm Mm-hmm. And she somehow received the education that a boy in the literati family would have received, and she wore men's clothes and passed as a boy to those who knew her. Mm-hmm. And at one point, she was accused of criminal negligence that resulted in a fire and composed a poem to read for the prime minister, whose name is Zhou Xiang. And he, mm-hmm. it's four lines, and here it is. It was by chance I left my hidden hermitage to live in Linqiong. My deportment is as firm and true as the pine tree in the valley. Why would you, whose justice is as pure as water and mirror, want to shackle a crane from the wilds and lock it in a cage? Wow. Very powerful. Yeah. 
Very. And so then after she, or after Zhou Shang read that poem, he summoned Huang Chonggu into his office. And she claimed to be 30 years old and a provincial graduate. And mm. Zhou Shang was so impressed by her intelligence that she ordered for her to be released and sent her to study at the local academy. Interesting. Yeah. And so Huang Chonggu was very talented. She was good at chess. She could play the guqin. And she was skilled at painting and calligraphy. And so Zhou Shang ended up appointing her to the position of acting revenue administrator. And she had an excellent reputation among her subordinates. Mm -hmm. In fact, Zhou Shang thought so highly of Huang Chonggu that he offered her his daughter's hand in marriage. And mm. yeah, so obviously she had to decline. And she offered Zhou Shang another poem. This one is eight lines long. And mm -hmm. it goes... Since I stopped gathering kingfisher feathers along the Emerald River, I have kept to my poor and humble abode, just chanting my poems. Since donning the blue gown of office and living the life of a clerk, I have forever forsworn the phoenix mirror and the painting of brows. My deportment is extraordinary, displaying the virtue of the green pine. My ambition is out of the ordinary, manifesting the beauty of white jade. But if you, governor, deign to accept me as your bare-bellied guy, which means son-in-law, Mm. We'll have to first beg heaven to quickly turn me into a man. Hmm. So yeah, like declaring her real identity. Okay. That she's a woman. And so Joshan was shocked, but he was not angry. He was actually okay. impressed by her chastity and purity. Hmm. And after this, Huang Chonggu requested to be dismissed from her position and went back to her hometown of Linqiong. And after that, it's unknown what happened to her. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, preliminary thoughts? So, her parents must have known what she was doing then and been, like, okay They're with it, They were I dead. Assume. They were dead. Oh. Oh, yeah, but, She was like... an orphan. Oh. Okay, you didn't mention that, so... I, I said that she was orphaned. It's fine. I don't think you did. I did. It's in my notes. I oh, I missed it. Well, anyways, but you said no one outside of her family knew that she was secretly a girl. So they must, whoever was in her family right? must have known that she was uh, doing that. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know because I'm not sure, honestly, because <laughs> that's what it said. I, I don't really know because she was raised by her nurse. Oh, okay. She didn't right. have like family from what I uh -huh. read, but maybe, maybe she was young, right. but not like super, super young when she was orphaned. I don't know. But... Okay. I don't, yeah. Yeah, well, anyways, forget forget any of that, um, but okay. that's interesting. And so, but also she, well, she was dressing as a man for social advancement or probably, like, safety, I guess, if she was an orphan. Um, is that the... I mean, yeah, she did it because she didn't have any other means of support for herself. Mm -hmm. Like, she didn't have any other way of making money. Mm -hmm. But not before any gender fulfillment is the general conclusion. yeah. Yeah, it or was are more... you going to talk about that? I mean, uh, well, I my read is that she really only does it so that she can become a worker in the government to, like, you know, get her out of poverty. But also, mm -hmm. like, she's really, really smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she didn't really have a chance to display her intelligence as a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Really, only, yeah. So, yeah. But I think her primary motivation was because she didn't have any other way of yeah like, uh -huh. providing for herself. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty. Please continue. Okay, so her story has been retold a lot over the centuries. 
The earliest version I saw evidence of is from the Jin dynasty. So that was from 1115 to 1234. Mm -hmm. And it is now lost, but it was called Chuntao, the female principal graduate. And obviously I don't have that. It's lost time. Mm -hmm. And then the most (laughs) well-known, the most well-known adaptation of her story is from the author Xu Wei in the 16th century. So it's the last in the cycle of four plays by Xu Wei that are collectively known as Four Cries of a Gibbon. Um, It's his most famous work. And the third play is called... Okay, so there's a sequence of four plays. Third play is the female Mulan joins the army and plays it for father. So it tells the story Uh of Mulan. The fourth play, the last one, is girl graduate rejects a female phoenix and gains the male phoenix which I will henceforth uh-huh. refer to as Girl Graduate. It's a very long yes. title. Which tells the story mm-hmm. of Hoang Chunggu. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually curious about your thoughts on this play. Like, I'm going to talk more about it just like as a theater person. I haven't read it. I know you haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you more about it. <laughs> okay. So in this five-act play, side note, mm-hmm. it's actually the longest of the four plays. The first play is one act long, the second and third are two acts long, and the last one is five acts long, the one about Chonggu. So yeah, anyway though, mm-hmm. so in this five-act play, Huang Chonggu's original name is Chuan Tao, and she changes it to Chonggu when she starts dressing up as a man, mm-hmm. which she does because she has no means of making money. Mm-hmm. And she and her wet nurse, who's called Auntie Huang, are destitute. And um, actually, her aunt also dresses up as a man. It's not as big a deal. Oh. But she okay. does. Anyway, so... That's interesting. Yeah, and she she assumes the name of Huang Ke, while Chun Tao is Chonggu. Yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. So so she takes the imperial mm-hmm. exam, and she impresses Zhou Xiong. Um, as I said before, he was like a official. And so he begins acting as her teacher and benefactor. Mm-hmm. In the middle part of the play, like in Act 3, Chonggu is tasked with reviewing the cases of three convicted criminals who had appealed their cases. So, like... This isn't related to the Huang Chonggu story, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns into like a bit of a courtroom drama type of thing in the middle there. Interesting. And then the audience, as well as Zhou Xiong, is left sort of thinking about how wise and clever Huang Chonggu is because she figures out the flaws and the accusations, and they're all judged as innocent. Nice. Which, according to Shaman Kwa in Strange Eventful Histories, Identity, Performance, and Xu Wei's Four Cries of a Gibbon, Huang Chonggu's cross-dressing is not the main topic of the play, but a dramatic device used to emphasize the themes of the play Mm -hmm. and of the collection in general. Mm -hmm. So, quote from her, The problem, a basic one of recognition that transcends questions of gender, is this. It is difficult to understand another person, and it is difficult to make oneself understood. The ubiquity of costume and disguise are given immediate concreteness when represented on a cross-dressed heroine, making gender an expedient dramatic device. So, mm. end quote. This is why I think the entire third act is dedicated to a courtroom scene. Mm-hmm. Like, the play explores themes of identity and, like, the unreliability of judging people based on appearance and uses Huang Chonggu's cross-dressing to explore this. Rather than it mm-hmm. being purely a play about Huang Chonggu's life. So yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so in this version, when Zhou Xiong learns that Huang Chonggu was actually a woman, he decides to mm-hmm. promise her to his son instead. Okay, that makes sense. And so, yeah, because he's just like, well, if I can't take you for like a son-in-law, I'll just take you for a daughter-in-law, it's fine. And um, 
Huang Chonggu reluctantly agrees, and the two are married. Reluctantly agrees? I say re- I, I say reluctantly. That's kind of like my interpretation, because mm-hmm. she... Well, at first she was like, I'm too ashamed. Like, I deceived you, you know? And he's like, I don't care. I think you were virtuous. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, but this is like, we're doing it today. Like, that's so fast. And mm-hmm. he's like, yep. She didn't seem like she was super into it to me, but that was my mm-hmm. interpretation. Anyway, though. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But then she's forced to leave her position and she, you know, becomes a wife mm-hmm. to Zhou Xiang's son. And then the last yeah. lines of the play are, On whom do the good deeds of the world depend? If not a man, then a girl. Interesting. And scene. Yeah. And so <laughs> in the late Ming Dynasty, so like 1500s, early 1600s, the courtesan writer Liang Xiaoyu also adapted Huang Chongu's story into a play. Okay. United Primes. U-N-G. And this play is now lost. Um, oh. But scholars think that it ended probably the same way as Xu Wei's did. So with Huang Chonggu marrying Zhou Xiang's son. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so according to the Cambridge History of Chinese Literature, most female writers in the late Ming were either courtesans or women from elite families. And mm. Liang Xiaoyu is one example. She was a courtesan. And mm-hmm. evidently, cross-dressing was not an uncommon theme among women writers at this time. Yeah. Um, which makes sense, because if, if most of them were courtesans, I also read that at this time, it was not uncommon for courtesans to dress up as, like, elite men when they went out in public. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, just for the safety aspect, you know? Yeah. But they were really some of the only people that really had, like, agency, I feel like. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were, really people, like, were the only women who were allowed to fraternize with men freely. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then another adaptation of her story by a female author is the 1717 play by the author Zhang Lingyi. And this version is also lost, but she, mm. but like the, the preface that she wrote for the play does survive. Mm-hmm. And I have it, and it is. Intelligent and talented as Huang Chonggu was, in the end she did not achieve her ambition and eventually had to revert to her original female dress. But could she just return to making herself up with a rouge and powder, serving her husband with towel and comb and begging others for pity? Mm. It is for this reason that I, basing myself on the images of the divine immortals, have made her into a lofty bird, soaring amidst the leisurely clouds free from the fetters of Qian and Kun, or Yin and Yang, the entire, the whole cosmos. So yeah, and I, like, as much as, I know we cannot read her play, but I feel like this sort of gives an indication of, like, the thought Mm-hmm. of women writers sort of of like it's a shame that she mm-hmm. had to go back to this like feminine role yeah yeah so then there continued to be interest in writing about cross-dressing women in the tradition of huang chunggu in 1778 the female author wang yun wrote a play called dream of splendor or fan huamang about a woman named wang menglin who dresses up as a man, takes the civil exams, and ends up marrying one or more wives. Ooh, wow. That's bold. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. And so, in this play, the protagonist recites the following line. My heart's manly energy yearns to soar to heaven, but I am not predestined for the deeds of a Mulan or a Huang Chonggu. Interesting. Which I think is cool, because it directly references Huang Chonggu. Mm-hmm. But Wang Menglin doesn't only want a governmental position, she also expresses desire to marry a woman. Okay. She hangs up a painting of a beautiful woman on her wall and says, If I were a man, I would definitely find myself a beauty like this for a wife. Let me pray to her. Who knows? She may step down from the painting. Which I think is really awesome. Interesting. 
Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so then she falls asleep and dreams that she's a man. And then as a man, she marries a woman her parents picked out, as well as two courtesans. Mm-hmm. And she also passes the civil exam. And she wakes up from the dream, realizes that she's still a woman, and is deeply disappointed. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, is she desiring to be a man because she wants to marry a woman, do you think? I feel like from what I know about the play, which is relatively little, it's kind of open for interpretation. My personal thought is that she wants, like, she resents her place as a woman, just in general, but also she clearly Mm -hmm. desires women as well. And, like, the only way you can really desire a woman is, like, as a man. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, oh, and she married these women. Oh, but she also passed a civil exam. Like, it seems like Mm -hmm. it's more of an afterthought. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's open for interpretation. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my interpretation, mm-hmm. but... For sure, yeah. That I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And so those are, like, two examples of cross-crossing stories from Imperial China. There's also, obviously, Mulan, mm-hmm. which is super famous. We all know Mulan. And some others. Mm-hmm. So one other really famous example is Zhu Yintai, who is from the folktale of the Butterfly Lovers. Have you heard of that? Oh, yes. I am familiar with it. I didn't remember there was cross-dressing in it, but now that you say it, it sort of sounds familiar. Yeah, so basically it's about this girl, Zhu Yintai, who falls in love with her classmate while she's dressed as a boy to attend an academy. But the story ends in tragedy, and then the two of them are transformed into butterflies. They die so that they can never be separated again. Yeah. That's the barest summary, because I'm just giving over details. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the yeah, tragedy so- ending, but I forgot that yeah. they met. Yeah, they, they went to school and they were bros. Yeah. And then she fell in love. That's very anyway, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's a really interesting topic. I I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's really cool like, to learn that there's not just Mulan. There's also a bunch of other stories about cross-dressing. Yeah. Um, specifically about women cross-dressing and... Yeah. Some of them have kind of gay undertones. Some of them don't. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. Anyway, so what are your thoughts? Well, so I can you go back and remind me of the dates of the plays again? Yeah. So the the one I described that I actually was able to read by Xu Wei, that one was in the 1500s. I don't know exactly the year. Mm-hmm. but And then the one by the courtesan writer Liang Xiaoyu was... Um, in the late Ming, so it's like probably, I think, which I think is from 1577 to 1644. Okay, yeah. So I think it was like a little bit after Xu Wei's play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the one by Zhang Lingyi, 1717, that's the one with the preface that we have. And then the one about Wang Menglin was uh, 1778. Okay. So the first two plays, um, it's interesting because in that time there was just a general, I mean, so I'm speaking, talking about Europe right now, but it's interesting. There was a general theme of writing plays about cross-dressing women at the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like in Shakespeare. Yeah. And Shakespeare is obviously a good example. There's a few other playwrights um, from the time period who also were writing plays like A for Ben in which women were cross-dressing a lot. And so I mean, I don't, obviously, there are two different places with different, like, ideas going on at the time. Like, China was yeah, just was off doing its own thing, especially during, like, like, the 1500s. Context, but, it, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that there are, like, different themes and ideas. I mean, there is cultural exchange going on, of course, in the 1500s between the two places. 
Um, so yeah, like like Shaman Kwa, the academic I referenced earlier, she actually wrote about Merchant of Venice in her um and a little bit in her analysis of mm-hmm. Girl Graduate. Like I actually didn't include it, but like she she compared Huang Chongu's like court trial scene oh. to like, like a similar scene of the Merchant of Venice where Portia that makes sense dresses as a man and like grills people in a trial oh yeah yeah so I just think that's interesting kind of like similar themes of like deception and whatever mm-hmm. yeah yeah isn't it yeah I kind of wasn't thinking about that but like mm-hmm. they were kind of around the same time ish yeah I mean I don't know a ton about like Chinese theater um especially not like straight plays that are being performed like these are like just plays right they're not like yeah they're plays well there were there's operas or anything they're not operas but they did include singing elements okay yeah i mean that makes sense and another thing it's always interesting to think about is that i'm pretty sure most of the perform pretty much if not all the performers were men at this point actually Um, it was a mix it was a mix okay yeah because in the in the play which i read it would say like the gender of the performer and Mm. uh, like there, there, there was cross-dressing in theater. Is the thing like mm-hmm. I know there was also cross-dressing in like Shakespeare because all of the actors were men. Women weren't allowed. Weren't like allowed. Yeah, all to the act. actors were men in Shakespeare's theater. Yeah. In this case, there actually were female actors, <laughs> but I, I, I guess it was like pretty common to cross-dress on stage for whatever reason. Not necessarily talking about cross-dressing, but just in the play, like to I play a looked... role that's different than the gender that you are. Yeah, that's that's my yeah. impression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I, that's just. That's kind of aside the point of what we're talking about, but that's just always yeah. an interesting thing when it comes to thinking about the gender that's being portrayed and whether or not, like in Shakespeare, for example, when you're talking about the Twelfth Night in Viola, who's playing a man, you're going to be having in the actual Globe Theater during Shakespeare's time, it's a man playing a woman playing a man and how that influences like the yeah, true. comedy and the depiction and stuff. Oh, yeah. I, how does that even work? It's like Victor Victoria. I don't know. Fair enough, you weren't there. It's just interesting for me to think about. But yeah, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that it's clear that there's like a lot of themes of cross-dressing going on, like in that four play cycle. Mm-hmm. It's not even the only play that involves cross-dressing because there's also the story of Mulan going on there too, which is a play, exactly. another very important story. And the second play has not exactly cross-dressing, but there's like a gender theme. It's like, okay, well, basically it's about this monk and he gets reincarnated as as a woman. Uh-huh. Interesting. And then like as a woman that he's been reincarnated into, she tries to put on men's clothes when she realizes that her past life, she was like this monk guy. And then mm-hmm. she's just kind of like, oh no, I'm just like a woman now. So that's kind of mm-hmm. like kind of cross-dressing-y themes gender themes yeah mm-hmm. for sure which is definitely interesting like i have to wonder about like shu wei's like intention to talk about gender mm-hmm. i don't know his intentions but like if he yeah. wants to talk about gender he did a great job it's very gendery yeah for sure yeah i mean i i, I did sort of mention um the stuff about actors playing roles and like the role of costuming mm-hmm. and stuff not like super in-depth anyway but like mm-hmm. okay so i wanted to talk about shu wei's play first so first of all it's important that shu wei's mulan comes right before a girl graduate um shaman kwa argues that mulan serves as, as a sort of preface for girl graduate mm-hmm. the two stories are a natural pair they're both about women who cross-dress but mulan's story takes place on the battlefield and Huang Chongu's mm-hmm. sixth place in the civil domain. And there's also several parallels and references to Mulan within Girl Graduate. In the fourth act, 
Chonggu was asked to write a poem, and she writes about Mulan, praising her bravery and filial piety. And she even directly references the Ballad of Mulan, which is the very famous poem from around 400 CE, which is like the oldest known version of the Mulan story. So interesting. In Girl Graduate, there's the following line. You emerged pure from the mud, a pair of rabbits side by side on the ground. It is hard to tell apart male from female. Which is a reference to the last few lines of Ballad of Mulan, which are, The buck bounds here and there, whilst the doe has narrow eyes. But when two rabbits run side by side, how can you tell the female from the male? Yeah. Which is about her comrades in arms sort of just expressing disbelief and being like, how did we not know she was a woman? And that's what she mm-hmm. says and then end poem Mm -hmm. which i really like that quote by the way i think it's really cool that it was referenced in girl graduate because i think it's a great poem yeah it sounds i really like that yeah it's very short actually you can just find it online anyway Mm -hmm. so later when chonggu confesses her true identity and she expresses shame about her deceit Shang says to her, You yourself spoke of Mulan's situation as something for heroes alone, as glorious rather than shameful, referring to when she wrote the poem. How can you see things so topsy-turvy now? So, like, the Mulan parallel is stressing the idea that Huang Chonggu, like, what she did was, like, brave and, like, noble. Mm-hmm. Because she did it, you know, to escape poverty for herself and her aunt. Like, she didn't do it just because she's a weird, deviant woman or something but she did it to save herself and her aunt and that's noble mm-hmm. yeah anyway so something important in both of the stories of mulan and huang chunggu is the fact that both of them end up going back to living as women in the end mm-hmm. they're exempt from scrutiny because they cross-dress for noble reasons like i said mm-hmm. huang chunggu does it to be able to feed herself and her nurse and mulan does it to save her father mm-hmm. but they're also excused because they both revert back to traditional feminine roles And their willingness to go back to the roles that are expected of them is key to their integrity and purity, as well as, like, the fact that both texts stress that they remained virgins as part of their Mm. their, uh, virtuousness, the fact that they remained chaste, you know? Yeah, while they were living amongst men as men, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anne-Marie Xiong offers another perspective in her article, Gender and Representations of Women in the Three Chinese Dramatic Texts of the 16th Century. She talks about how this reverting back to feminine roles, while it does also reinforce societal roles for women, it also undermines the idea that social roles are determined by gender. Mm-hmm. The fact that Huang Chunggu switches back to her feminine role as easily as changing her outfit highlights the arbitrariness of gender-based social norms. Mm-hmm. Like her role in life was determined by social norms, like basically this the way that she dresses, rather than like capabilities mm-hmm. or just des- or like even her desires. And the fact that her role mm-hmm. changes as easily as she changes clothes challenges the idea that gender roles are like biologically determined. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean it's very clear that she is capable of doing all the jobs that she was assigned to do as a man. But yeah. once she reveals that she's a woman, she can't do them anymore simply because now everyone knows she's a woman and that's not allowed. Yeah. And it's like, oh, now you can just get married. It's fine. Like, you don't need to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to find a husband for you, you know? Yeah. But I, I do find it interesting that, like, in the play, Jiu Shuang, he kind of, like, celebrates it a little bit. He's like, oh, how amazing. I'll just marry you off to my son. But he doesn't seem to, like, mourn the loss of his talented official. And it's like, you know, she mm-hmm. can still k- keep doing the job. She was really good at it. Like, why does nobody yeah. seem to care about that? Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, so Xiong also references this quote from Virginia Woolf. Mm. In every human being, a vacillation from one sex to another takes place, and often it is clothes that keep the male or female likeness. Mm. That's interesting, because one of the stories, the one with the dream, reminded me of Orlando a lot. So that's oh, really? interesting that we're bringing Virginia Woolf into this now. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I actually haven't read Orlando. I haven't either, but it's a story basically about a man who is immortal and also at some point in his immortality transforms one day into a woman and suddenly has to live life differently because she's now a woman. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that that is actually similar sounding. So, like, this is definitely supported by Xu Wei's play where there's emphasis on Chongu's change of clothing as part of her transformation, um, like, mm-hmm. even from the very beginning. At one point, her nurse asks what she's going to do about her girlish face, and she replies that she will change into her father's clothes and no one will be able to tell. So here, her female identity is associated with adornments, and she can just as easily take them off as put them on. Mm -hmm. And once her costume is changed, she's able to fill the role of a male academic. Yeah. Yeah, just like gender's performance and all that. Yeah, it like is, and it's, I mean... I feel like that's, it reminds me of how in like the 60s, there was that law in New York that was like, you have to wear a certain amount of clothes that match this gender that you were assigned at birth in order, or else you would like get fined or arrested. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah. And that was like 100% about like policing gender expression and um, oppressing like LGBT people. Um, and, you know, it's just sort of like thinking how clothes have changed a lot and how like 50 years ago it was like kind of still weird for women to wear pants all the time. Yeah. But now women wear pants and it's not like even that weird even for women to wear like suits anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And just how like clothes have always been like heavily associated with the policing of gender and mm-hmm. and it's been really forced for people to perform gender in a specific way based on how they dress. Yeah. But it's also very much literally just clothes. Yeah, like, it really doesn't matter very much, but, like, so much focus is put on clothing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy. And even now, but, like, I can't even imagine, like, in the 60s. I mean, there's still a lot of focus on clothes now because it's still very much frowned on for, like... I mean, of course. Um, men to wear dresses or skirts or whatever, and it's still very much, like, a thing if a guy, like, shows up at a, you know, a red carpet event wearing a dress or and something. there's, like, a million like think pieces written about it. But it's, like, if we all yeah, just didn't Harry say Styles, anything about um, it, <laughs> then it would be fine. Like, let's stop yeah. talking about mm-hmm. it, and then it'll just be normal. Yeah. Um, Anyway, though, (laughs) so like I mentioned earlier, Girl Graduate is not purely about a woman cross-dressing, but cross-dressing is used as a dramatic device to explore further themes related to like authenticity, deception, and truth. Mm -hmm. And these are themes that are found throughout the other plays in Four Cries of a Gibbon and explored in varying ways in each different work. And since plays are a visual medium, cross-dressing is an effective dramatic choice to convey this since the audience can very easily see that the actor is Mm -hmm. cross-dressing. They just can use costumes and makeup to help convey this deception and sort of making use of like dramatic irony that the audience can see Mm -hmm. something that the other characters can't, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... My point is that the character of Huang Chonggu is a cross-dresser, but that doesn't make it a play about cross-dressing. Cross-dressing mm-hmm. is just an effective way of exploring the themes that Xu Wei wanted to explore. Though, that being said, I, I'm not trying to say like he didn't have the intention of exploring gender, because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that it wasn't the overarching focus or the only focus. 
I think if he had wanted to like explore gender, he did a great job. Like it's yeah, very gendery. Like I said before, <laughs> saying gendery twice yeah. in this episode. <laughs> it's genderful. Yeah, genderful. No, I wish gender esque. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting um, because because it, it, it's sort of like he's using this story in order to make his own point about like identity and knowing like the true self and stuff and it's sort of is like this story of the cross-dressing doesn't even matter but also it does because this is a, a society that's very much regulated by one's gender like that he's writing in you know so. it definitely matters and like sort of talking about like okay what is truth what is like identity whatever everything and like yeah i mean she didn't necessarily like she was dressed up as a man t- to succeed yeah it wasn't necessarily like a big statement, but yeah, he's choosing like the most, the biggest example he can think of of like what you can you like not realize about someone. Yeah, I think which goes to emphasize the importance that the society places on gender. I I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Analytically. Yeah, and there's overarching themes that you can't judge someone from appearances, mm-hmm. and like it critiques the way we perceive authenticity and sort of asks mm-hmm. the question of how we define truth. Mm-hmm. During the examination scene, a character referred to as Balderdash, his name in Chinese is Hu Yan, which is a homophone of nonsense. Nice. Balderdash in the English, right? That's funny. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. He's told that his poem doesn't rhyme, and he responds, What is so absolute about rhymes? Poetry rhymes are just like fate. If the examiner says that it rhymes well, then even if the rhyme doesn't rhyme, it will rhyme. If the examiner says that the rhyme is no good, even if the rhyme rhymes, it won't rhyme. It's so hard to read. My fate resides with the examiner, not with me. Which, like, he's right. Like, it's sort of a comedic, he's sort of the purpose of him is definitely, like, comedy. (laughs) His name is Balderdash. Uh Um, His name is Nonsense, but I mean... It does. But he is making a point. He's making a good point. Like who gets to decide what truth is? You know, who gets to decide what's right? And that truth and meaning making are relative. Mm -hmm. Like Joshan believes that Balderdash, like his rhymes are like good or whatever, and he ends up passing, Mm -hmm. even though it's clear to the audience that he's stupid. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. Joshan believes that Huang Chonggu is a man, which means that she's like meaningfully. A man. Mm-hmm. And the characters in the play have to, like, reconcile the truth of Huang Chenggu's identity with their view of the world, where, like, mm-hmm. she achieves something that they believe to be impossible. Having the talents of a man with the body of a woman, mm-hmm. which forces the audience to reconcile their ideas of the truth and the fact that meaning-making can be subjective. Mm-hmm. So that's explored through the character of Huang Chenggu. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting stuff. And so I think mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the ways that specifically female authors wrote about Huang Zhonggu. Like I mm-hmm. spent a long time on Xu Wei because he's the only text I actually had. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a good play. But um, yeah. yeah, so cross-dressing was seen as a deviant behavior and condemned in most circumstances. But I imagine mm-hmm. Huang Chonggu and other female cross-dressing characters, you know, Mulan, etc., could act as mm-hmm. a sort of comfort for women who resented that they were expected to be wives and mothers instead of, like, scholars or leaders, etc. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Dream of Splendor by Wang Yun earlier, the play about a woman who dreams of living the life of a man so that she can mm-hmm. take the exams and marry a woman. And so mm-hmm. her son wrote in the preface of the play... 
The lady, my mother, has an extraordinary disposition. This is the, the author's son, if that wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. The lady, my mother, has an extraordinary disposition. She understood the histories and other books, and she always regretted that she could not achieve success in the examinations and attain high office. So she wrote this piece in order to give expression to her pent-up feelings. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that characters like Huang Chonggu would also be appealing to women who wanted to express yeah. homo- homosexual desires. Yeah. Like Wang Menglin in Dream of Splendor, who dreamed of beautiful women and wished to marry one. And another play I came across was Pear Blossom Dream for Li Huameng, mm. written by the female author He Peiju, where the heroine is another cross-dressing woman and she longs to be reunited with her beloved female companion. And she like longs for her female friend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wouldn't have been realistic for two women to in love to run away together. So I think it would make sense for mm-hmm. women feeling these desires to wish she could play the role of a man so that she could be with her beloved. Yeah. Yeah. And while there isn't explicit homosexuality in Huang Chonggu's story, I can imagine that her story and similar stories could be a way for women to express their desires and to express their resentment and you know, their desire to have equal rights, like have a better mm-hmm. role in life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, I feel like also, I mean, there's no way that she was the only person in history who ever cross-dressed in order to get education. I'm sure there were people we didn't even know about because their identities yeah. weren't revealed. Yeah, like, you know, in like China, she was definitely, there's no way she was the only person ever who cross-dressed in order to get an education and live independently and escape their yeah. family. Like there's no way, you know. So I think it's just really cool that we have, you know, this one story and it's just sort of like a shadow of probably all the other people who also did the same, the same thing. Yeah, definitely. And for whatever reason, either to, you know, maybe go into the place of their fathers in the war or to get an education or to just live independently or to marry the person that they want to marry, which they wouldn't be able to do unless one of them was dressed up as a man, you know? Yeah. Which is very cool. Definitely. It's a really interesting story. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Hope you're having a good time. Well, thank you for such an interesting episode, Lizzie. I had a great time. I hope everyone else did too. And if you liked it, please feel free to donate to our Kofi, leave a review, subscribe to us, tell all your friends, and we'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. The Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythalLadies and visit us on our website at MythalLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.